So, I mean, there are very many different types of fighters out there. I mean, we kind of learn that in the different types of styles that people fight in. Like, if you were to get into a fight, what's your style? Ooh, are we rolling for it? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> I got a natural 20. I got a natural 1. I got a 10 right in the middle. We are, like, perfectly <laughs> split. What are the odds of that? I, if I were to, get a, uh, were to get in a fight, what kind of style would I have? Um... And it doesn't uh, have to be a listed style. It could be like your own style. Uh, I, I, I'm, I would definitely be a grappler. Oh, um, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> mostly because I am well aware of the fact that I'm not the quickest human being. So if I can limit your movement, I stand a chance. You also have meat hooks for hands. I, I, I uh, okay. This is not a, I have finishing carpenter hands, which uh, means my grip is ridiculous. And it, it just has been that way for years since I was doing carpentry um i i rock those like uh the carnival squeeze games yeah i I rock the hell out of those so if i can get my hands on you you're done you also play bass i also play bass so i have dexterous fingers as well yes Mm. megan you're next yay um i'm a defensive fighter i don't like fighting yep well you're you're like the only person in this podcast uh who legit has martial arts yeah i'm actually extensive martial arts experience it's definitely not me Uh, yeah i don't like to fight I, I have a little bit when I was like 13, mm-hmm. so it does yeah. not count now. I legitimately have not taken a single class ever, aside from gym class. I think we had one mandatory wrestling class, and that's it. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun, and I enjoy it. But I learned it for the like to, so that I know how, not so that I would have to use it. In fact, we have sparring classes like once every couple of months where we do actually have to hit each other, and I hate those classes because I just spend them like in a defensive like stance. Are just, you like, are you still doing me. it? Um, with, uh, COVID and everything, it's very different. So okay. the dojo is still open. Um, but you basically stand in your cubicle and you don't move from your cubicle and it's just, you, we don't fight each other anymore. There's no partner stuff. You just punch the air. Fantastic. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So, Wonderful. Yeah. My fighting style would be dirty and it would be hit and run. I do not want to be in a fight. I don't even like verbal fights. So, so, so in my mind, though, I just imagined you running away. But yeah. you, would you actually hit and then run? If I you... felt like I was at danger, there would probably be a kick in the nuts and I would be on my way out the door and I wouldn't even feel bad about yeah, it. Yeah, you you are just trying to make enough space and time for you to get out. Exactly. Yeah. Would you trip the person beside you? No. Okay. No. I have enough <laughs> honor to not put someone else in harm's way. I would put myself in harm's way first, but I would do whatever I could to get... Where I, I 100% believe that, I think it depends on who's standing next to you. Well, yeah. Because it's the same thing for me. I, I if, if I'm running away from a bear next to Terry, fucker's going down. Like, <laughs> I don't good. care. Okay, if you can catch Terry. No <laughs> yeah. <offense>. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, I'll just throw a mirror on the ground or something and I'll distract him on <laughs> Oh, <up>. that's true. <laughs> Shiny. It's a mimic. The Roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation about role playing fighters in D&D 5th edition. I'm Megan, and with me this week are Dan and not Terry or Adam. It's Brad. Woo, <laughs> and this episode is called Fighters Hitting on Everyone. I feel like with a title like that, it should have been Terry. <laughs> it, it, it really, yeah, well. Peek behind the curtain, it was. It was, yeah. 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 Uh, we had to, because of COVID reasons, we had to kind of juggle the schedule around. But, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. Our, our first Fighters episode is a 
interesting episode. It's so a I'm, lot. It's a it, lot. It's a lot. Uh, it is It is widely regarded as the one that goes off the rails the hardest and the fastest. It was only over two hours long. Yeah. Um, so and only I'm, 20 minutes of it was actually about fighters. Yeah. So I, I am, I'm really looking forward to uh, readdressing. Let's, uh, let's redeem like, fighters. Redeem fighters, right? Like, and, and there's some really interesting things to say about them, and I'm glad we actually get an opportunity to do that. Well, there's some interesting things to go over today. So to give you guys a kind of a snapshot, we are going to be diving deep into the Xanathar's um, additions to the fighting family. Um, so we're going to start off with a couple of things and interesting stuff that you guys can add into add to the role playing of your character, um, and then go right into talking about the new archetypes that have been added into this. So... Um, the first and foremost thing about fighters, of course, is the heraldic sign. Ooh. Um, so Heraldric? Heraldric? I think it's, the, I think it's well, it's a herald. Herald? Right? Heraldic? Heraldic? <laughs> Rick, there's an R, guys. There is an R. Her- That's what I said. Heraldic. No, there's, there's not. No R. There is, there is not. It's heraldic. It's, it's, it's heraldic. heraldic. So, so heraldic. Herald- it's actually heraldic is how I would pronounce Riviera? it. Riviera? Yes. Okay. Heraldic. Heraldic. How did Heraldo? I say it originally? Heraldric. Heraldic? Heraldric. Because you did pronounce the so, so your family crest. Yes, your family crest. <laughs> but the whole concept, of course, behind fighters is that they're fighting for a cause. Yeah. Uh, whether it is their family, whether it is their battle mastery, whether it is their kingdom, whether it is their cavalry, whatever have it be, right? Mm-hmm. They're fighting for a purpose and for a reason. So the heraldric? Herald. Heraldic. Heraldic. Heraldic or heraldic? Um, sign heraldic? or family crest, of course. Uh, heraldic. Is, Dicks of Harold. Can we just call it that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, is just supposed to be a symbol to kind of represent what they're fighting for. Um, so, of course, in Xanathar's, it does give you a quick D6 table of rolling that you can just do a quick build to kind of flesh mm-hmm. out that character. Was there any in here that stood out to you guys that were written? Um, honestly, I really like the idea of the cross greatsword in front of the castle gate. Uh, that's the, how classic. It, it's just a classic it one. It speaks to you. Yes. Yeah. Um, and because I am building my next character that I actually get a chance to play is straight up a knight. So, um, yeah. like the idea of that honor uh, for your keep, for your castle, and that defense, but also a great sword. So there's that offensive push to it as well. Like I, I just really liked that one. Yeah, I was I was a fan of that one as well. Yeah. It's just there's something iconic about that that just screams fighter. It wouldn't be anything else, right? I like it. I honestly I like the three drops of blood beneath the horizontal sword, but that's just me. I like death and dying. Yeah, yeah. So anything well, that 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 crest is definitely of a family who has. Uh, Maybe not seen some shit, but has committed, committed. some shit. Yeah, because yeah, the whole concept behind it, of course, that's written in the book is that it symbolizes three foes you have sworn to kill. Yeah. So it's almost like it's, you know, like Arya's list of people list, to yes. kill. But it's just on your fucking crest. Yeah. I, it's just on your shield, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And like, you just have names like this is for Jim, this is for Joe, and that's for Bill. <laughs> Fucking Bill. Just, he knows what he did. He knows what he did. Now Fuck I you, Bill. I just want to crest with a list of names just, on it. <laughs> yeah. It just gets longer and longer and longer as the campaign goes. Yeah. I've, I've always loved phoenixes, so the phoenix crest was also stood out to me. Um, especially the thought of like rising from the ashes. If a family is being, or your order is being reforged, hmm. right? You've faced, especially at the start of a D&D campaign, to think that you come from an order of family that was decimated and you're, now you're looking for revenge and to build your way up and to restore your great name. Yeah. That was a really cool symbol for me. I really like that one. Yeah, I love how you guys are going for like the heroic style, but all I really want to do is like draw a really shitty tattoo 
And like, because there's the one here that's like literally a skull with a dagger. I was gonna say that's uh, that's the next one. Yeah, and I was just like, oh my god! I was like, that would just be someone's really shitty tattoo that they just decided. I really fucking love this tattoo, guys. I would like to put it. And it was done in somebody's basement by just somebody with stick and poke. I I legit know more than one person who has a tattoo of a skull with a with a dagger through it and the snake. Like mm-hmm. that, that, like through that the is, eyeball and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's an iconic. I think it's American, uh, American style tattoo, right? Oh, like yeah. it's an iconic. You have. To, I want to get one to be completely okay, honest. To be completely like fair here, I do have an anchor tattoo, which <laughs> with a ribbon around it. Ooh. So I mean, like I can't really make fun of those who have traditional style tattoos. Is it on your forearm? It's like, on my ankle. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> if, wow, because like. Forearm, your Popeye. Ankle, you're a basic bitch. So how's that pumpkin spice latte? I, you? I had one today. I'm not gonna lie, it was delicious, and I was thinking of Adam the whole time I drank it. Oh man! I I, I try not to think of Adam when I consume things. I mean, it's not the first thing that comes to mind <laughs> no, for me either. No, so no. I mean, <laughs> um, so uh, as I'll probably go over a little bit later in the episode, I. 100% love the ideas of heraldry and, and having that. Like, Bannerman, uh, with the knight background, you get retainers. Mm-hmm. So having one of those guys just, like, carrying around a big-ass flag with your heraldry on it mm-hmm. as you ride into battle fits for me. Like, it, 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 you could really embrace this idea of being a knight. Um, so I, I went into a deep dive. Uh, and I want to go over some things. If you want to create your own heraldry um there are several things to know you go to website create your own <laughs> actually i i i went to english, ancestry.ca english-heritage.org.uk okay got you. oh boy like, <laughs> I, I i went to the source i went to england for this did one did you do a 10 a 10 question quiz no it it, it <laughs> which disney princess are you dan <laughs> sorry uh, i am 100 percent merida i just i've i've done the test <laughs> anyway um, but use bright colors. Remember that your backgrounds don't necessarily have to be fair. If you have a proper, which is to say a more natural animal and its natural colors, um, understand why you would have them. A lot of them have a special meaning, um, in- including the things like a fess, a pale, a bend, a chevron, a cross, a saltier, a chief, a border, or a pile. These are other designs to throw on that um, when you mix these with different colors, have different meanings for your house. Um, these are uh, often called ordinaries is what they're put on to them. Um, and then as you go down, you also have things which are held with charges, which are things like the blood drops we saw. Those yeah. would be charges. Those are things that um, usually if your family owns a lot of corn, you would have corn charges on your um, in your heraldry. Or if you're um, family comes from a um, land of evergreen forests. You would have, you know, three evergreen trees on your heraldry. Stuff like that comes through stars, rings, uh, the fleur de lis is. Are the rings Sonic the Hedgehog's family? Um, <laughs> most likely. Okay. Yeah, especially on a pale blue uh, background. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And you drop them when you get stabbed. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> you, they're not actually attached. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> But finally, the big thing, like, uh, when you put an animal on, each one has different meanings. But for some examples, lions are bravery, dogs are faithfulness and reliability, hares are for speed, badgers or wolverines are for endurance or holding on, stags are for wisdom and long life. These things 
Now I want a honey badger on my right. Heraldry. It, it makes you sense. Don't give a fuck. I just but don't. Let's be completely honest. We're playing Dungeons and Dragons. This is a fantasy game, so you should have more than just stags. Have an owl bear. Have a heraldry with a beholder on it. And what the fuck's that about? Could you imagine? Actually, that would be really dope. Right. And it would be like every eyeball was different or something. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm thinking mind flare. Oh fuck. Oh. Some sort of illithid. Just, just a big Cthulhu skull uh, <gasps> on, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm down. So like, so now we're creating a cult. I think more uh, than a family. Symbol. Go, go off the deep end with this, please do. Um, this is another opportunity for you guys to like create a heraldry and go to the uh, Reddit or go to the Insta- uh, the Instagram page or whatnot and come back to us and ask us, uh, or sorry, come back to us and tell us what you've created. Um, I want to hear about these cool heraldries and what they mean for your character. Yeah. Or That'd even like even cool. in real life, like if someone yeah. has an attachment to their personal actual like heraldry, I I love that kind of shit because I my family has no idea what, what where the fuck our crests or where anything like we just don't have the access to that. There's no. one attached to my family name, but I wouldn't like my family's never yours. claimed it. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. So I yeah I love that kind of shit. So yeah, I mean, agreed. Yeah. Post it, share it, love it. Does anybody else have any other thoughts or feelings on... I feel like you did a lot of research on that. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I Okay. Full disclaimer. Um, I am a massive fantasy nerd, yes, but I am also a massive medieval era nerd. Like history buff. Um, I'm a, well, my mom is an uh, anthropologist. Yeah. So I, I have always grown up being huge into history and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, D&D gives me an avenue to really nerd out about certain things like that. Like if... You want me to watch a movie that you're producing? If you put Arthur or any of the Knights of the Round in it, have anything about the Lady of the Lake uh, uh, mythology or whatnot, I'm in. I don't care if it's a shitty-ass movie. I will watch that thing multiple times and enjoy every minute of it. Oh, so you also have seen Bly Manor. (laughs) Uh, Bly Manor and uh, Cursed. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's going right over my head. It's okay. They're both actually pretty good. But recommend. Recommend. Yeah. Okay. I had only seen Jurassic Park like two weeks ago, so movies aren't really the thing to recommend to me. God, you're worse than Terry just now. <laughs> uh I, I have a whole lot. Like, Terry's pretty bad. Though. Terry's pretty bad. Terry goes, What is this Star War? And I get upset at him. And how many were there? So yes. Die in a fire. Yeah. Three is yeah. the answer. But can we all agree that Adam's heraldry is a pumpkin spice latte? Yes. Oh, yeah, it's a several pumpkins, yeah. With a Starbucks symbol right on the center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mermaid, yeah, right there, yeah. Terry's would be a mirror, just like in the center. Oh, it, it's just a just, polished chrome. Yeah, like that's so all you can just symbol. hold it up, look yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, what about Dave? Uh, Dave's a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, Dave's, Dave's would be like a crossbow over a field of dead animals. And it would be all mm. camo. Yeah, would be camo. You would never actually see it. <laughs> <laughs> If you saw his heraldry, you fucked up. It's too late. It's too late for you. <laughs> Tell me, Gertie, how does that go? Don't even get me started. Oh, oh dear. All right. Well, let's move into instructors. So, I mean, this is kind of self-explanatory as to what it is. So, some fighters tend to technically be like they could be self-taught, but at the end of the day, of course, their skills have to be passed down or learned or like just absorbed in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's through traditional means, non-traditional means, um, whether it was forced upon them, not forced upon them, you know, like mm-hmm. I love those kinds of story tropes where like they became a fighter because it was what they had to do, not because mm-hmm. it's what they wanted to yep. do, like that kind of stuff. 
So again, within Xanathars, they do have a small D6 table, which kind of gives you a little bit of a breakdown on a couple of options that you can just choose if you're not someone that can kind of reach into your creative mind. Um, and I think they covered a lot of the basics in here. So like you have your common ones, like of course you're a gladiator, you were part of the military, or you were city watch, um, tribal warrior, street fight. Street fight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And of course, like your weapon master, right? So uh, did any of these stick out to you guys? Or do you guys lean towards one of these more than the other? I have a problem. What's I, your problem? Is it the same as my problem? Because I have a problem as well. What is your problem? Brent? My problem is the no, fact... No, not that problem. The, the actual, oh! applies to this. Oh, this. Yeah, we don't need to we know what... Okay. We that ointment on the table. <laughs> all right. I thought this was a therapy session. My apologies. Uh, no, my Tell issue... Tell me about your father. Oh <laughs> no no no! Left when I was <laughs> left to get smokes. Never we came back. We are trailing this fast, and we're not doing this justice the way we wanted to. <laughs> All right, no, my, okay, okay. My issue about fighter episodes. <laughs> my issue is that first level characters have far too much background as a champion in the military, as a gladiator pit fighter that's won many victories and won their freedom. And if you're if one. you've killed that many people and you're level one, and then you suddenly get killed by a goblin that hits you with a crossbow. Yeah, explain that to me. It, it bothers me. Yeah, uh, my my big problem with this as well is kind of aligned. Um, these are just backgrounds. Yeah, they're 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 mechanical backgrounds in the game. If you go gladiator as this for your instructor, like you roll the dice, you get the one for gladiator, and then you don't, don't choose, choose the gladiator, gladiator background, background. Yeah, something is wrong. There's a disconnect. Well, it's the same thing with the military one. If you don't take mil- like yeah, you don't take mean, veteran I mean, as a level yeah. one fighter. Like come at, on, bud. At the end of the day, though, I mean, this is all just character building, right? There's no mechanical attachment to the heraldry or the instructor, what we're going to get into next, right? Yeah. Well, I mean... Uh, this I've is seen... just to help you give some flavor, especially for somebody who's not made a character before or is new to a fighter and just doesn't really have a fully fleshed out. This helps you kind of... It gives you a jump Push you point. in the direction. The, the thing to note here is that these are... The, the difference from a background that these have is these are the backgrounds of your instructor. Yes. Not necessarily of you. So if you are trained by a gladiator, but you are yourself part of the city watch, that's how this works. Yeah, yeah that but, makes more sense. But um, the influence of your instructor on you should have an influence in where you ply your lessons, where you ply your learning. Yeah, skills, of course. Right? So as you're starting to level and grow your character, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we already discussed Arya, but that's a good example, right? One of them in here is Weapon Master, right? She started as a level one fighter i would say and she took less she's a rogue she, she is but i think with the weapon master here i think she starts with a level of fighter but in the same time like it also <laughs> depicts the style too i find which mm, we'll the get way into a little bit fight. later but absolutely i feel like the master is what does that for you so <clears throat> for another pop cultural reference miyagi versus cobra kai right like two mm, completely different fighting different styles um, and two very different masters, right? Yeah, one one is willing to break the rules to win, yeah. and the other wax and, on and wax off. Uh, no, and <laughs> I dance and, to win, and, and, and dance style. Thank you. And the other one lost the fight um, because stupid Daniel kicked the dude in the head, and that's not a rule. He should have been disqualified. Like, how is this a discussion? But that's watch fun. watch the Karate Kid. Daniel's son is a cheater. He needs to get off the friggin' thing. Blonde dude won. <laughs> so also just weird like little tip, like not tip, but like cute little backstory. Miyagi was actually technically based off of the masters of the current style that I'm training in. Oh really? So if you watch Cobra Kai and they show the the pictures of the masters in the background, 
those are the pictures that are in my dojo. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> well, well, you're in like karate, right? Like, yeah, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. But is it Shotokan? Like, A what karate? Maybe can. Maybe can. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. <laughs> I I would I did like when I was 13. I mentioned it earlier. Um, I did Shotokan karate and I did a little bit of Aikido. Yeah. Um, mostly because this I, is why you're a grappler. Yes. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Anyways. But yeah, but I think at the end of the day, what we're trying to get to is that the instructors that they put here aren't necessarily instructors. They're the backgrounds of which your instructor comes from. Correct. If that makes sense. Like, so yes, it says gladiator, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a part of like the gladiator regime. It's just that the person who taught you happens to be. Yeah. They won their way through, through glad. Yeah. So it's not like you yourself are like top, top dog of the military. Your master was. Yes. You've learning from that person. I would love to see this put into effect with your rogues, with your monks, yes, with monks, your absolutely. clerics. Yeah. Like, uh, how badass is the story of the life cleric that, you know, learned his skills and was um, kind of shepherded by a former pirate? Huh. Right? Who saw the error of his ways, redeemed his life, and now is made his entire mission to better the lives of those around him. And that's why he's a life cleric, but he still has that rough edge of, I don't know, a, a, a former pirate. Like, still knows how to fight dirty. Still or, knows how to fight dirty. Knows little really tricks. Too. Yeah, yeah. Right? And like, also has to fight to probably change his name, too. Right? Yeah. So if you were right? training under that person, and you tell other people, yeah, I'm training under pirate fucking... No, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think you tell anybody at that point. Well, the, the, it, this is another one of these uh, little flavor charts that they give you in Xanathars that could be applied to other uh, classes very, very well. Very easily, yeah. too. So um, I, it, it look at this for other things as well. And, and as a DM, I would encourage my players to give backgrounds to important NPCs that they create when they are creating their um, backstories so that I can mess with those two. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really cool to have somebody who's training you. Um, But does that become midweek content? How do you balance that with so many players around the table, right? Yeah, or you just make that agreement that at nighttime when you rest, you spend two hours training. Right? Because I did that when I played in um, L5R, which was very, very samurai-based. That's uh, uh, Legend Legends of the Five, of the Five Rings, Rings yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I had a character that was born a magic user, but didn't want to be. She wanted to be a fighter, so she found a master within the group. And then every evening, they trained on a different weapon, and throughout the campaign, she eventually got levels in other areas. Cool. That's a cool so, way to like, do and that. that's And again, it was always done off-screen, midweek content, yeah, if you want of to. Course. Um, but otherwise, it was, just, it was just known that in the evening times, you'd did and you would roll whether you were successful or not and then went from there and also if you were dming a group of people that and you want to have a very character driven campaign basing little like five session four session arcs Mm -hmm. where uh one of your players is kind of the the bigger protagonist um and everybody else is supporting them in whatever their goal is yeah. Um, works, and this is a good time to pull it. Adam's not here, so I'm just going to say critical role and say the words. They do a fantastic job of that, where they yeah. take arcs and they focus on a character over that arc, so everybody gets their chance to kind of shine. And it doesn't mean that everybody else is pushed to the background, but this arc is kind of focusing on the backstory of somebody. Yeah, yeah. right? And it's, so if you want a good example, it's a good place to go, but... Yeah. That's true. Not that we need to give them a shout-out. <laughs> <laughs> be nice if they gave us a shout-out. Uh, right. Weirdly enough, my YouTube... Sponsor us. 
my YouTube was up on the TV screen the other day, and then my partner was like, who the fuck is Critical Role? Like, Why are we I'm, I'm... What? Yeah. So, like, we're very opposite in the sense where I play a lot of D&D. He um, stuff, my, so. my, my wife does the, uh, who the fuck is Critical Role anyways? Like, because I just go off and rant and rave about them, so. It's just people. Just yeah. people. All right, speaking of just people, let's talk about signature styles. So, of course, if you are a fighter, you don't necessarily always have to be, like, run into the battlefield, like, full tilts, you know, like you... But you can. You can. If, but to, like, I think what we talked about before is the master definitely kind of depicts the style that you have. I'm Absolutely. thinking, like, in my head, I automatically go to, like, drunken master. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, like, just for a specific style, right? So, of course, obviously, in Xanathar's, it also gives you the D6 table, which is very easy to roll from if you were just wanting to jump off or it's your first character build. It's fun to roll to see what you end up getting because I can't imagine having, like, the drunken master and then getting, like, cunning. I was going to say, can you imagine? <laughs> I can't see myself rolling on this table. I can see myself looking at these tables for getting inspiration, ideas. but not actually rolling on them. I don't know. I've rolled characters before, like just straight from the book from beginning to end. For one shot, that's all right. They're fucking hilarious, though. After the class section in Xanathar's, there is a this is your life section. Yeah, there is. Which is a randomly generated uh, character backstory. Done that. If I ever have any problems with a player creating a backstory, I guide them towards that. Sure. And be like, trust the process. Write down all the little findings and then legitimize it so all of those are included in. And you can have some messed up backstories that are super interesting and intriguing. They did a really good job of that chart. It's one of my favorite things. I do enjoy that chart and I've used it before, but I can't imagine. I I just want to put too much of my own stamp on things and (coughs) totally take that. But I at least use it if I'm kind of stuck somewhere. I'll use it to guide and then I'll find, you know, one or two pieces there and use that. Hmm. It's true. But with, like, when we're getting down to, like, choosing a style for your fighter, um, I do feel that it is very important and a very good piece to add to your character because it will depict why you go into battle, how you go into battle, and how you present yourself in battle. Yeah, And I don't think this is something that's thought of enough. Why are you fighting? Mm -hmm. And who are you fighting? What is the purpose behind it? I think we see role-playing and combat as two different parts of the game, and they shouldn't be. People usually shut off their charisma brain and turn on their fighty brain when they go into battle. And I think it's important to really dig deep into it a little bit more. Fighters are the one class uh, that is the most at danger, maybe monks, of having the bland descriptions. Mm-hmm. I just hit him with my sword. I hit him, yeah. Right? No, man. You have a style to you. You have some feel to you. Tell me how you swing your sword. Tell me, like, describe the 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 brutal bladed dance that you are engaged in figure it out because you can have so much more uh, feeling and uh characterization to your combat as a fighter and people like you were saying just don't yeah do it like and and like i like some of these options one of them like energetic you sing and laugh during combat as your spirit soars you're happiest when you have a foe in front of you and a weapon in hand like right yeah man like yeah, just just a fighter walking up in full plate mail, laughing yeah. at a dude. Yes, I'm on yeah. board. I'm 100 percent right. on board. Brutal. Your attacks rain down like hammer blows. Right. Mean to splint, meant to splinter bone and send blood I was, flying. I was looking at that, and that's a barbarian look. But you absolutely can build a fighter around that. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. 
That's very true. So, um, and I, I honestly don't think that your fighter has to choose one and stick with the one for the entire campaign. No, your character will grow and evolve. So, so will you? Maybe you go into combat starting as just this brutal fighting style, right? You're just wailing, and as you go, you start to develop more of a skill set, and eventually you could go into an elegant fighting style, right? You could evolve over the time, especially depending on who your trainer is. Like we discussed earlier. Yeah, I think, like, and especially if you're thinking, like, elegant style, again, you'll think mm-hmm. Arya Stark, who basically yes. dances to fight, you know, doesn't perspire, uses as little bit of energy as possible. Yeah. When right? I think elegant, I think Three Musketeers, I think D'Artagnan, I think the, oh, I mean, I think I, the yeah. movie The Duelists, right? Yeah. I went like Princess I went, Bride. I was going to say Princess Bride with um, Montoya. Nigo <laughs> yeah. Montoya. I'm not left handed. <laughs> <laughs> But like, I feel like that adds so much character into a sure, battle. It, it really, you know, yeah. stuff like that. I actually really was looking at the sinister, right? Scowl and sneer while fighting, and enjoy mocking your foes as you defeat them. Yeah. Like, uh, you're look- you're the Brad Marchand of fighters. Oh, don't mention that name in this place. <laughs> it's your house, so I can't tell you what not to say in your own house. But no. But how dare you? How dare says. you? Uh, but how how off putting would it be? Uh, you have a bard sitting you in the corner, casting vicious mockery. But your fighters offer on the side, doing a better job at it, and beacon the hell. Apparently, beaking's a Canadian thing. Beaking, is it? Yes. It's I, not an I, American I, thing? I said that to my wife the other day, and she's like, what is that word? So, uh, making fun of, egg, egging on, like... No, beaking. That's not break it down. It's beaking. Beaking. So, chirping, chirping, if you will. Yeah. I've never heard that term before. It's because you didn't hang out with hockey players. Yeah. It's a hockey Is thing. that a sport? It's... That, <laughs> it, it is the sport. Oh, you're wearing a sports blouse today. I am wearing a sports blouse today. Yes, <laughs> it's very pretty. Yeah, it's very, very shiny. It's not my orange one that gets me mocked in the city. So <laughs> we don't speak of such things. Oh, Go Oilers. Anyways, anywho's all. So I think the whole long and short of it is that the heraldic, 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 <laughs> the, your inst- Harry's dick. Yep. Yeah, heraldic. Your instructor and your signature style for your fighter. It's something really neat to dig into instead of just building your basic fighter. So. I mean, if you're ever stuck in putting flavor on your fighter, this is the place to go. Xanathar's is full of flavor. It is. And and some of these like little intro things definitely miss the mark. None of these do. No, these um, are spot on. Uh, I do have a small problem with the instructor um, and how that is basically just a reiteration of a background. But it is a good stepping stone to lead you into developing... NPCs in your background. Absolutely. That's it, exactly. Right? Rather than your own background, it's your trainer's background. It's also a good piece to add for your DM so that they have a character to throw at you later in the campaign. Yeah. 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 Or or rather to kill slowly in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's usually what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Or have turn turn on you. That's my other favorite. Oh, yes. 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 This person is important to you. Watch and uh, sit while I slowly describe how I slit their throat. Also, by the way, they were probably evil and you didn't know. Yeah. Like, oh, God. They're actually the one who killed your parents because everyone's an orphan. Uh, (laughs) Not, Not everyone's an orphan. Some of us have our dads and our swords. Megan? Shut up. <laughs> Bastard swords. <clears throat> All right. Well, we're just going to go to a commercial for now. Um, and then when we come back, we will go through the subclasses that are within Xanathar. Are you going to be here for this commercial? Almost certainly not. Why do I even bother with you? Why do you bother me? That's not what. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another stupid commercial that I don't want to fucking. Adam. Daniel. Will you just please? <sighs> Hi, everyone. It's that time again where. Thank God. 
Dan, I'm trying to record a commercial here. It's that time again where we remind you that we have a mailbag episode coming up soon. So if you have any questions, comments, or random thoughts for any of the hosts, please let us know. We actually really look forward to the mailbag episodes because it lets us talk directly with you guys, the listeners. NPCs. Most of the questions these days are directly related to D&D, but you know we'll answer just about anything. Want to answer why you bother me? Stop it. You can send us direct messages through Instagram, find the post on the subreddit, or send us an email at info.insubimic.com. So the next time you're listening to an episode and struck with a quandary, perplexity, or bewilderment, take a few seconds and type out a quick message for any one of the hosts. We'll make sure that your question gets added to the list. And also remember to enter our giveaways for a chance to have an entire episode dedicated directly to you. It's these interactions that bring the most joy to our lives. That and beer. What? You know what? We really should just get together to answer some questions one day and get drunk. Remember the time I showed up drunk for that one episode? Oh my god, I edited so much out of that one. This advertisement has been brought to you by Cirrhosis and Idiocy. Please drink responsibly. Don't tell me what to do. You're not my real dad, Dan. Alright, welcome back, everybody. Um, so, we'll just get right into it. How about we roll and see who wants to uh, go first? Yeah, alright. I got a nine. I got a six. Seventeen. Guys, I'm I last. get to go first. Alright, B Money, what you got? Alright, I am bringing you today one of my favorite. I've never really desired to play a fighter, but even before doing this, the one fighter I've always wanted to build is the Cavalier. <laughs> oh, okay. Go on. I've got opinions, me. but of I'm I sure do. you do. You always do. Um, so we're going to do a bit of a dive here into the Cavalier. Cavalier is your, basically your expert at mounted combat. Um, it's what they sell in. Their whole rules are based around it. They are designed specifically to have a mount, to charge into battle. And they're also probably the tankiest subclass, I would say, based on the rule set that they have. Their goal, now I know 5th edition's gotten rid of the role of tank and which is probably a good thing, I would argue. But they are specifically designed to get into combat, lock down the enemies around them, don't let them escape, and have them focus on you. Yeah, which uh, is... If, if you're playing a Cavalier and don't have the Sentinel feet, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. You yeah. are... You know what? You honestly are doing it wrong. Um, in fact, there's actually some crossover. We'll get to this as we go through the characteristics of the, sen- uh, of, the, of the Sentinel, no, of the Cavalier, where there's a bit of crossover actually between the feet and the abilities they get. Okay. Um, so let's just jump right into it. So starting at third level, you get a bonus proficiency, which you're going to pick animal handling if you haven't already because you're riding a mount. You need to have animal handling. Yep. Um, um, your other options are history, insight, performance, or persuasion. Yeah, uh, which... Fighters suffer from having a lack of skill proficiencies. Yes. This is helpful. This is... I, yeah, it's a good way to start. Game one. Yeah. And again, like I said, if you don't have animal handling, you're guaranteed... If you aren't taking handling, again, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I also just like how it starts it off, because usually if you build a fighter, you think that they have no social skills. Yeah. So I like that it starts I, it off with... I like persuasion it. or as that, as like you're up on the horse, right? You're leading the men into battle... You're leading the armies into battle. I like that as well. Well, you know, Carl Urban in Lord of the Rings was fairly charismatic, and he was a Rohirrim. So, I mean, it made sense that there's a certain amount of charisma there. Yeah. Right? I mean, to have that kind of skill set, yeah. it, it lines up. I, I like this. I also like that you get another language. Yes. Um, and that there's no limitation to that language. 
Um, but I feel like a DM would be like, "Tell me why you would know that language." Uh, sorry, <laughs> why, why, why do you know primordial? Now, let, exactly. Let me clarify here. It's or. It's either or. You get proficiency or a language. You do not okay. get both. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And okay. so you're going to take the proficiency because, like you said, fighters have a lack of. I mean, unless you really want that language for flavor or for some reason, I don't see why you're taking language. You're taking proficiency. Okay, fair enough. I mean, you can try and convince me otherwise, but I see no reason to do it unless you really want to for uh, flavor. If you're if you're a half elf, if you are only dipping into cavalier, and yeah. your other class is a rogue or a uh, sure bard or something, or if you're playing well, with a DM that you know relies heavily on the um, fact that you understand the language, yeah, yeah, like there are some campaigns now, where it does not. We're gonna get into it. I only recommend dipping into cavalier, but we'll get into that reason okay. more. Um, you also, starting at third level, get born in the saddle. Uh, and basically, this gives you advantage on saving throws to avoid falling off your mount. And if you fall off your mount, which is very cool, you do not go... Basically, you have... Um, if you don't fall more than 10 feet, you don't land prone. You tuck and roll. You tuck and roll, and you get up on your feet. Which, anyone else, if they're dismounted, you're landing prone automatically. The iconic or the character art for a cavalier is a dwarf. Yes. I just I just envision like him getting knocked off it and just like thumping on the ground just like just solid and standing just, like up. okay I'm oh. good <laughs> like yeah <laughs> very hardy yeah very hardy yeah. um and lastly at third level you get unwavering mark this is actually the feature that I like most for cavaliers oh I did sorry uh, now that's right born to the saddle one other thing you do is rather than using half of your movement to mount you only have to use five feet yeah. Which that is, is huge. Freaking massive, especially when you're a fighter. Yeah. And yeah. if you only have five feet of movement, you can still hop on your horse at the end of it. Yeah. So, right? Anybody else, if you don't have half your movement available, you count now. So it, that's a big, big bonus that's going to get you around the battlefield a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, the next ability that they get at third level, and the last one is Unwaving Mark. And this is what I would consider to be one of the key features of a Cavalier. And this is probably why you take it. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting at third level you can manage your foes foiling their attacks and punishing them for harming others so this is where I'm getting this tank vibe from when you hit a creature with a melee attack you mark the creature until the end of the turn and um, basically what happens is as long as that creature stays within 5 feet of you it has disadvantage on any attack roll that isn't targeting you so wow. it's effectively like a taunt right you're saying come at me bro yeah and if they go against anybody else, you're basically intervening and saying, hey, no, no, your, your fight's with me. I feel like a lot of fighters have an ability that makes them do that. Yeah, <laughs> but this especially is done. Um, but then as a bonus, if it does actually decide to attack somebody and then with disadvantage still makes the hit and does damage, you uh, then get to make a special weapon attack against that. So you basically get an attack of opportunity that's not using up your reaction yeah. to attack. You basically... And then if you attack and hit, uh, you deal extra damage to target equivalent to half your fighter level. So you're basically an empowered attack, right? So you're basically saying, come at me, bro, and if you still choose not to and you manage to pull it off, well, guess what? You're getting it right back in your own face. There you go. Yeah, this is... um, Cavaliers in past editions have been... um, How do I put this nicely? uh, Donkey shit. Um, Mostly because of uh, how do you defeat a mounted uh, player character? You kill the mount. No, a, a cave, dude. Well, yeah. Go to a dungeon. Yeah. Unfortunately, this, this, this game is called Dungeons and Dragons. So, I, have, so, I had mounts in so I, many games. And I have a bit of a workaround for this. We'll get to in a bit. Yeah. Um, 
But like a dwarf on a cat, we get it. I mean, <laughs> actually, it's halfling on a bull mastiff. This okay. gives you and, and and cavaliers of previous editions have just been. I'm a I'm a mount. I'm all about my mount. Yeah, everything's about my mount. I'm a mount. I I, I I'm really good with a mount. Yeah, take a mount away from them. And they're like, well, now I'm just a worse fighter. Yeah, this, no, 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 this 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 really buffs yeah. you so that. If your mount is out protecting the other mounts because you're the only asshole with a warhorse, yeah. then yeah, you could still do stuff in the cave. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we're going to go through some more of the features here. None of them require the mount. Mm-hmm. They are enhanced by having a mount, right? The, a lot of the features that they have are enhanced by that. Yeah, like here's your bonus, but if you're on a mount, it's a better bonus. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the first three. Uh, it's, next one you don't get until seventh level. So you need to do a pretty deep dive to get anything more than that. But I would argue that that's enough. Um, the rest are kind of nice, but not must have. So th- at seventh level, you get warding maneuver. At this point, you can uh, fend off strikes def- uh, directed at you, your mount, or other creatures nearby. So if anybody you see within five feet hits uh, of you is hit by an attack, you roll one d eight as a reaction and add that ace to their AC. So basically, any party member within five feet of you get will get a bonus to their AC um, once per long rest, uh, and it's a d eight. Which is kind of like basically a shield spell. Yeah. But if they don't have shield, it's a good way to yeah. keep some squishies alive. Um, I like this. Again, it's not one of the ones... Like, I wouldn't take Cavalier for this ability. Yeah. Especially at... I mean, it's your constitution modifier per long rest. That's okay. I mean, that's, a stat, that's still but plenty. Then it, you're a but fighter, then it, man. But, like, well, and the other thing with this one too, right? If you're using this ability, that attack has already come with this advantage because if they're within five feet of you, you've probably marked them. Yep. To say, hey, come at me. So, I mean, yeah, I don't really see a reason. This is fine. I don't love it, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, 10th level, you get hold the line. This one I like. Um, I just like its name because I want to yell it out loud. Yeah. Oh, and you absolutely, if you don't yell it out loud every time you use this ability, you're doing it right, wrong. But basically, um, anybody who is within five feet of you, provokes an attack of opportunity if they move. So they don't actually have to leave your threatened space. They just have to move. This this will help a lot of players from older editions feel a little bit more at home. Yeah. Because there's there's that knee-jerk reaction to want to cr- do that attack of opportunity reaction um, when someone's just moving within my yeah. attack range, which was how it was in 3-5. Now... No, they no, could, they, they could they could just walk around, they can dance around you as long all as day leave. long and it's no problem. So, um, yeah, I like I like this. Yeah, um, and if you manage to hit with it, you also reduce their movement speed to zero. So basically, if they're trying to flee, you can say, "Hold on, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, you're here with me. I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me." Yeah, right. Um, I like this ability, but tenth level, I don't know that it's enough for a tenth level ability. Uh, no, it tracks with the other ones. Yeah. It certainly tracks with the other ones. Yeah, yeah I feel like most of these ones, like, it, it's nothing that's going to break the game, right? Yeah. The whole point is to be more flavorful and really be a it, part of the character. And it's flavorful, for sure. Yeah. Um, same with the 15th level spell, uh, Ferocious Charger. Now, this one's one of the interesting ones. We were talking earlier about how you don't have to be mounted for this to work. Mm-hmm. This one is right along that line. Yeah. Um, whether you mount or not, if you move at least 10 feet before you attack, your once you make the attack, so you move 10 feet, you make an attack, if you hit, the target that you've attacked has to make a strength saving throw or be knocked prone. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a bull rush, right? You move 10 feet, you're going to make your attack, and you're going to knock them prone if they fail their save. That's pretty cool, though. I like this. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be mounted, which is nice. 
and you can use it once per turn. There's no limit on this. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm. We don't have enough of a charge mechanic in the game. No. There's the charger and, feet, and if you are mounted, you're moving six hundred and twenty feet around. If you're on a warhorse, uh, they only move fifty, so you're so hundred hundred feet because they get their action, and then you're going to use the bonus action dash most likely if you need to. Uh, you, you can use it on other things with your. You can't bonus action dash as a fighter. Your companion can. Not a bonus action. No, it's just the action. Well, oh, we'll get into just... actual mounted okay. combat rules. Yeah, moment. that's because this this I... brings in a that this brings in a aspect of combat that will only that is very unique to this. This is the same reason why Adam would hate a warlock and yep. does hate warlocks is because they bring in unique mechanics. Yeah. Um, that are different to everything else, and that is like my big yeah. Mounted combat is. I mean, I've never played with it. It's, I would like it's to, but. weird and it's hard to understand. So we're, we'll be going through it in just a second. But um, yeah, yeah. This, uh, anyways, this ability. I mean, you you've got movement. You're going to be able to use this every turn if you want to. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to be you know outpacing your monk, but you know. no. But you're going to be outpacing anybody else on foot. That's true. Um, and then lastly, at 18th level, you get vigilant defender. Um, in combat, you get a special reaction that you can take once on every creature's turn, except for your own. And you can use a special reaction to make an opportunity attack. And you can't use on the same turn, you use your normal reaction. So basically, you don't want to use your normal reaction. You'll just wait for other people's turns and use this. Because you can use it every turn for every other creature. It's kind of worded weird. I had yeah. to read it a few times yeah. to understand it. So, so if, you use your, it, yeah, if you use your reaction to make a attack of opportunity, you can't use... Basically, what... It, so I had to read it a few times. What it means is that you can't use your reaction to do an attack of opportunity and then do this as well, because it's effectively the same thing. So, rather, this, so basically, you don't get two attacks. They had to word this because somebody would say rules is written. Okay, I'm going to use my reaction to make the attack of opportunity, and then I'm going to use vigilant defender. So I still don't understand vigilant defender. Okay, so starting at 18th level, you respond yes. to danger with extraordinary vigilance. Yes. In combat, you get a special reaction that you could take once. On every creature's turn, except, for except yours. yours, which is good. Yeah, you yeah. can use this special reaction only to make an opportunity attack, and you can't use it on the same turn you make your normal reaction. So, what this means is, if something draws an attack of opportunity on its turn, you can use your attack of opportunity. Correct. Against well. it. Okay. Not right. rather than just once per combat this, round. This takes up your reaction. Style. Uh, this take. Well, no, it doesn't. It takes up your reaction for that turn. For or for that one, one second. Yeah. It it takes up your reaction uh, against that creature. Correct. So if the next creature down the line does a thing and draws an attack of opportunity, you still have this special reaction. If um, some if if another creature um, down the line does something else that requires you to use the reaction to speak or the the other options for yeah. a reaction action, that is when you would be using your personal actual reaction. Yeah. This one is a special. Um, in in previous editions, this would have been called combat reflexes. That's what this is. Basically, you get an, a certain amount of bonus opportunity attacks. So. It just seems very specific. You get like, legendary like, actions. Like this gives you legendary actions. That's what this is. But it's very specific to attack of opportunity. And how often does that actually happen? You're gonna be, well, um, now you get it if anybody moves in your space. So you get extra. The, the if anybody moves within your space, you get it. You've got sentinel. So if anybody yeah, leaving you, your space, 
they're going to get it. Yeah, if anybody like, comes into your space because you're going to go pull arm You're going to get it you when get you it. move into their space. You're not going to go. And then they're never going to leave your fucking space. So I just feel like it's useless. I, I don't think you're taking sen- uh, pull arm master in this. And I'll why? tell you why. Because if you're mounted, you're going to take a lance, not a pull arm. Uh, lance counts as a pull arm. Oh, does it? Yes. Oh, I missed that in the pull arm master. So there you go. Yeah. But I'm you, like, no, you're very specifically taking Polar Master with yeah. this guy. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, I kind of didn't touch on it earlier, but we'd mentioned when you uh, attack somebody leaving your... When you get to make that opportunity attack, if you hit them, they get reduced to zero for their movement. Yeah. You also get that from Sentinel. So it's kind of a wash. I mean, if you're taking Cavalier, you're taking Sentinel. Yeah. Um, I mean, that... That bit is kind of... It just seems, of... like, not great for 18th level. Like, I don't get me wrong. I did say before that, like, these whole... All of these are not meant to be game-breaking. They're not meant to be extremely amazing. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like at 18th level, it just seems very... The 17th, but yeah. It's... No, it's 18th. Oh, 18th. It's 18th, is it? yeah. Okay. Um, it just seems very... I don't like it. That's just... I'm, I, that's me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, it's... In, your fighter, it's incredibly powerful. Like... You you ride your horse or your mount into the thick of battle, yeah. and you stand there. It works and great if you got every single of thing. Yeah, this is a horde killer. If you're fighting the BB, every big, single big time a a minion comes within range, and yeah, I mean you would work. You are your surrounding yourself by your ally, yeah. by your companions. It's, you're making sure that there's people around you of your allies, and you're making sure you're holding the line. It is a very specific scenario in which it would work. Um, I mean, yes, yeah. this because, guy is also, this, this makes him good in tunnels. Yeah. But cause like, to be honest, yes, it, it's great that you get that. the attack of opportunity when your other people get attack of opportunity, but how many parties have more than one fighter and barbarian that are going to be beside someone with a fucking horse? Like, you know what I mean? Like it just does not work in well, my brain. Well, and that, that actually, and it, it. That's it, it, you're right, but I don't see that as a bad thing. Like, I, this is also I, I see this guy standing in the front, and then you just have an entire party. Like we just had in our last campaign, we had that one person who stood in the front, you, and then the rest of the us were like range casters. Let's put a bonus on this: the fact that you're mounted. If somebody gets past you, boop to the back line. You're holding. You're defending that wizard who's all squishy. You're defending that. Yeah, no, right. and I get that piece of it. It's just that, like, I do also remember building a character built for protecting people, and then I was never fucking around people. So, yeah. made no, I used yeah. half of my abilities because of it. Yeah, you know that's I mean? fair. That's fair, yeah. So, I think, like, it's it's going to be very party-specific. It's going to be very, like, to your point, you yeah. almost wouldn't want to go to the top line of this if your no. party didn't need it. I would have maybe up to 7th level, and then I would probably go Paladin. Yeah. I want to, because... You're required to be within five feet of your allies to make a lot of this stuff work. You might so as well get an aura and be right next to them Paladin. anyways. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I think the Oath of the Crown does a lot of that defensive stuff better yeah. than Sentinel does. True. But I, or then, not Sentinel, but then Cavalier does. Yeah. But I think if you combine the two, especially because as a Paladin, you get fine, fine Steed, fine Greater Steed. Mm-hmm. Like, how cool would that be combined with this feature? I think the two of those can actually be real, used really nicely for four multi-class. Yeah, I mean, it. to me, it, yes, it tracks, but it, it feels like I would rather have a Cavalier subclass for a Paladin, to be yeah, honest. but the, you don't. And I think you could do something really cool with the two, right? You take, yeah. Yeah. what, maybe 13 levels in Paladin and 7 in Fighter? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That's true. So we're just going to go over what mounted combat looks like. Yeah, let's do Really, that. really quick before we move on. 
Uh, mounted combat is very, very weird, but basically it functions as an animal companion. So your mount rolls for initiative separately than Correct. you, but I mean, if, if it is your mount, it's basically going to move on your turn. Mm -hmm. Your mount itself has an action, just like everything else does. Um, um, sorry, I'm going to rant. One requirement for your mount is it does have to be one size larger than you, so no yes. mounting a meat. Like, if if you are a dwarf, there's no mounting the half-orc to have the half-orc run yeah. you into battle, right? Like, that's that, that's sorry, how the that's what works. I'm doing with my character. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a, uh, you're a halfling and it's a minotaur. That's true. So there is there's a size, a size difference. difference, so it works. <laughs> All right. You're okay. Um, I like the halfling on the bull mastiff. Yep, exactly. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like a riding dog uh, would fit with this as well. Um, now, typically with it, and the Cavalier does break this, if you are, um, once during your move as your as a character, you can mount a creature within that is within five feet of you or dismount. Doing so costs movement equal to half of your speed. So if you have 30 speed, yeah. it's going to take 15 feet of movement. This is not the case with a Cavalier who That's gets right. to do this in five. Sweet. Um, however, if you move 20 and get up to your horse and you try to mount, it does not work. You need that 15 feet. You need that half yeah, speed. That's right. Um, if an effect moves your mount against its will while you're on it, you as the character have to make a, a dexterity saving throw or fall off. You get thrown off. And that's right? where we were talking about that first ability, yeah. right? And often landing prone. Yeah. This doesn't happen. So if someone tries to move your horse... Uh, say by, I don't know, either killing it mm -hmm. or charming it Bull rush. or pushing it, you as a um, player have to make another roll or fall off and land prone. Okay? If your mount is not prone, you can use your reaction to dismount it as it falls and lands at your feet. Hey, look, another thing you can do with your reaction. Yes. Okay? By the way, if something is unconscious, it will fall prone. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right? If something's dead, it's not standing up. Okay. Now, controlling a mount. Now, hold on. They cast sleep on a horse. It falls down. Horses can sleep standing up. I, I would say it falls down. Yeah. As a DM, I would say it falls down. Especially if you're riding it. Now, because <laughs> also, remember, um, if your horse is the thing falling asleep, um, you are in incredibly dire situations. Oh, yeah. You're not in good shape. Because the way the sleep spell works is it takes off the biggest chunks of hit points working yep. its way down. So... Anyways, controlling a mount. Um, you can control a mount only if it's been trained to accept a rider. So domesticated horses, donkeys, and similar creatures are assumed to have that training. The initiative of a controlled mount changes to match yours when you mount it. So if it's a non-controlled mount, yeah. it gets its own initiative and does its own thing. Right. Okay. Um, it moves as you direct it on its turn. And it only has one of three action options. It could dash, it could engage, or it could dodge. A controlled mount can move and act uh, even on the turn that you mount it. So your mounts can dash, disengage, or dodge, dodge and I move. Dog and dodge. Right? It can't do anything else. Your horse yeah. isn't attacking. No, it's, it's a vehicle. Yeah. Um, now, if it's, for me, if it is like a war horse level thing, yeah, it gets an attack. Right? It, get, it gets a stomp attack. Sure. That just is added to that list of three. Sure. So if you're doing that, it can't dodge, it can't disengage, it, it can't, can't dash. dash. Yeah, that's right? fair. 
Um, also, mounts don't get a bonus action. That is, or a reaction. Yeah, that I think is, that's where I got crossed up earlier. Is right because yeah. dash is normally a bonus action. Yeah, as they, they don't have, bonus but they actions. don't have a bonus action. They get it as an action. As an action. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where the. Uh, an independent mount retains its place in the initiative order. Bearing a rider puts no restriction on the actions the mount can take, and it moves and acts as it wishes, otherwise known as the DM controls it. This is the same as your animal companions. You could suggest to your animal companion what you want it to do, but really the DM decides how that animal interprets it. Mm-hmm. Um, it might flee from combat, rush to attack, or devour a badly injured foe, or otherwise act against your wishes. In either case, if the mount provokes an attack opportunity while you're on it, an attacker can target you... Or, or the, mount. the mount. That's right. Now, this this has a couple big things that might get missed. One, um, you can mount random things. Yes. Um, but they act on their own turn. <laughs> Megan. Yeah, <you> Megan. Cherry's <laughs> <laughs> not here. I thought we were safe. <laughs> um, it might flee. It might run. It might turn on you. So be careful yeah. what you are attempting to mount. The handle animal action. You okay there? Is an action. Yes, it is. So if you are trying to do something beyond making a controlled mount, dash, disengage, or dodge, it requires your full action to force it. Correct. Okay? That's just the way that works. Yep. Now, the uh, find steed yes. changes the way steeds react to you a little bit. Mm-hmm. You have advantage on some things. and, and yeah. it, The details are in the spell. Look it up. Look it up, yeah. But um, when it comes to a cavalier's mount... It's just a horse, y'all. Like yep. it, and and it's a controlled one. It is. You'll do fine. But the Cavalier uh, subclass gives you no bonuses to controlling your horse, only to. And this is why I was saying earlier, I like the idea of the multi-class. I don't like the full-on Cavalier. Yeah, I like what some of the things that the Cavalier does, and I absolutely would at the very least take it to third level. Probably to fifth or seventh. I I really like Vigilant Defender. I like that eighteenth level. That is a that is a tempting morsel to it, go to eighteenth level. It's a cool. It is cool, but you're gonna have to put up with a lot until you get to eighteenth level. Um, and go halfling. Yeah, absolutely. I will get to character builds later. No, I know. Yeah, but like you would you you very intentionally because if you are walking through a dungeon, moat from a meta standpoint, most dungeons and stuff are created and balanced towards a medium-sized party. If you're a small character, you could ride your medium thing into into the cave. Yeah. If you are a medium thing, you're probably going to have some troubles riding your large thing into the cave. True. If you're a large thing, good Good luck. luck. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you're also going to want to know your campaign. If you know you're going to have a lot of overland travel, you know you're going to have, you know, kind of a lot more open space, then this is a cool one. If you're doing a dungeon crawl, don't bother. Um, And... I mean, Cavalier, I think this is, goes for a lot of classes, but especially with the Cavalier, you need to talk to your dungeon master. You need to know the campaign that you're running to yeah, make sure yeah. it's... Make sure it fits. Make it, it useful. Yeah. Cool. Dan, what do you got? Um. Uh. So, I got the Samurai. I was, How did Megan not get the Samurai? I, I, know. I know. I read I read who was doing what. I'm like, this is fucked. Why did you, you trade? Say, you could, yeah, you could do the Samurai fine. if you it want. Was, no, it's cool. All right. All right. All right. I'm already invested. So, this, the Samurai is a... Um, very flavored fighter um, who the way they have flavor this is it it uh, has this implacable uh, sorry implacable 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 uh, implacable it 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 is a relentless fighting machine is basically what it what yeah. they go right 
um, but there's a lot of fun flavor to it. So uh, starting at third level, um, you also get bonus proficiencies here. With a lot of fighter subclasses, you get bonus proficiencies when you uh, go into them. Um, this gives you the option to add history, insight, performance, or persuasion. Um, again, you're seeing a more knight-like feel to this guy, right? You have your history, your insight, your persuasion. You get less options than a cavalier, but, I mean, cavaliers get animal handling, right? Yeah. Um, alternatively, you could take a language if you wanted to. At third level, you also get uh, fighting spirit, which is where your intensity um, can both shield you and help you strike true. As a bonus action, you could give yourself advantage on weapon attack rolls. This is true strike. Uh, no, this is but better, better way better. You give it's yourself a a, you strike. give yourself advantage. Barbarians can do this too, but they give themselves disadvantage to get hit yes. at the same time. So it, there's that. Mm -hmm. But uh, samurai, when you give yourself advantage, you get five temporary hit points. This number increases as you uh, level up in the class to 10 at 10th level and 15 at 15th level. Mm -hmm. You could also use this feature three times a day per long rest. Right? 15 hit points at 15th level. 15 hit points. Uh, yes. Three times a day as a bonus action when you're giving yourself advantage on attacks and you're a fighter and you're doing that. Because well, you get so many. The, the rest attacks. of it is good. It's a bonus, that is that that is just a little bit of seasoning yeah. on this wonderful, you're wonderful at, dish. You're of looking at 45 spirit. hit points a day, which is not nothing. That's not nothing. But, even at 15 yeah, level. At 15 right? level. Um, you also get elegant courtier. 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 Fuck. Uh, courtier. What the fuck? I don't You're know. A French bitch. Right? A bad one. I'm from Western Canada. Damn it. Um, starting at seventh level. Canada. <laughs> uh, uh, starting at seventh level, uh, you have a bit more of a uh, your discipline and attention to detail help you exceed in social situations. Um, you can use your wisdom modifier for persuasion checks. Yeah. Which you, you better not have dumped wisdom. Um, you got to plan ahead on this one. As a fighter, your first two dumps are going to be charisma and intelligence. Yeah. Your third is going to be wisdom. So, dear friends, don't dump all your social uh, your social abilities. But I think that's what it's trying to force you to do as a fighter is that you know yeah. don't have to be a dumb brute. Yes. Yeah. You can build it differently to do different things, and I think that's mm. why I like it so much. Um, I also like this focus on discipline because you also get proficiency in wisdom saving throws. Yeah. Which is massive for um, any mind-controlling thing going, hey, there's the dumb fighter. Come with me. Right? Um, now, if you already have proficiency, you can uh, choose to have intelligence or charisma saving throws as a proficiency instead. So if you've multiclassed into something and you get another proficiency yeah. save... You're not getting nothing. You're it balances you, you, you out you get a more. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. So at 10th level, you get tireless spirit, which is when... Uh, whenever you roll initiative and you don't have any more expend, uh, uh, don't have any more uses of your fighting spirit left, you get one more. So you're always going to have uh, that. At least one re per combat. At least one per combat. And really, you're a fighter. No. If you need more than one one per combat, you're fighting a boss. If you if you're not fighting a boss, you should only need one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at fifteenth level, you get rapid strike. Like you're not getting enough attacks as a fighter. Yeah. Um, you learn to trade accuracy for swift attacks. If you take the attack action on your turn and have advantage on an attack roll against one of the targets, 
you could forego the advantage and just make an additional attack roll. Especially, you know, at 15th level, you've got, what, plus six? Plus uh, you, you, know, you are making about six attacks a turn at, at, at yeah. uh, 15th level. But with yeah. what's your modifier at that point? It's plus six? Uh, your plus proficiency four? is plus five, I believe, at that point. Maybe plus yeah. four. So, yeah. Plus your strength or dexterity, depending on which way you're going. I mean... I mean, I think that's worth that trade-off, especially if you know it's not a super high AC. Yep. If the AC is 18, why wouldn't you just take that chance on getting two attacks instead? And you could give yourself advantage. Yeah. So if you don't have advantage, give yourself advantage, get an extra attack. Mm, If you have advantage. The synergy in this class is wonderful. Yeah. Um, So uh, finally, at 18th level, you get strength before death. Um, This... This is another one of these stupid inflatable punching clown doll abilities where if you take damage that reduces you to zero hit points, you just decide no and Combine stand this up. with half-orc? Uh, yeah, right? Half-orc samurai? Half-orc, well, half-orc. Zealot barbarian yeah. gets this. Yeah. Uh, there's so many different ways to get one free stand up and they all stack. Yeah, that's what I'm so, saying. That, you stack the two. Samurai berserker. Yeah, right? So... Um, this doesn't give you an extra hit point, however, like the other ones do. It doesn't get put you at one. It just make it, makes it so you don't fall unconscious, giving you the ability to immediately take an extra turn as part of your reaction. And during that extra turn, taking any sort of damage causes death saving throw failures as normal. And three death saving, uh, three failed death saving throws can still kill you. However, when the extra turn ends, you fall unconscious and still have zero hit points. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. So this is Die Hard yeah. from yeah. previous editions. You, you're dying. Don't get it twisted. You are on your way down. But you got to turn. Yeah, one more. Which means pop a potion in your face. Mm. Right? Take take a level in Paladin and just give yourself That's a little a bit of healing hands. Right? Like, figure something out to keep you going. Because... You get an extra turn as an immediate reaction, a full turn. Mm-hmm. You get a move, a bonus, and 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 a thing. And I mean, at 18th level, you're probably fighting something with multi attacks. So you better hope it's not their first attack that does this. Uh, and if it, it does, it, then you use your then you use this time to make an extra couple attacks against them before you go down. Uh, no, man. If if someone knocks you down on the first attack and they have multi attack, you then interrupt their turn with a full turn of your own. Correct. Basically like a reaction. But I'm saying, do you waste one of those... Do you waste your turn quaffing a potion or casting healing on yourself if you know they're just going to make the rest of the attacks against you? Or do you just go down fighting? I I uh, disengage and run away. I... A samurai would never run away. Well, a ronin might. Well, I mean... <laughs> right? But a ronin would use the same abilities. <laughs> so, like, it, 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 you, you come across... Uh, Depending on however you want to play the the character here, this ability could be a game breaker. And I mean, yeah, you're right. If you stand and bang and you get your full round of attacks, which I mean, at level 18 is ridiculous. A lot. It's just ridiculous. And you'll still have rapid strike as well if you need it. You're still going to fall unconscious when you're done. Yes. Yeah. Right? So if you don't have another way to get yourself hit points, take that motherfucker out before he takes you out. And that's what this is. Uh, Little note on the taking the potion or the healing hands at the end when this extra turn ends you still fall unconscious oh if you still have i misread that yeah i thought it said it, you still have zero hit points i misread it yeah, yeah. no you're yeah. right so you can you can do that, that turn yeah. Heal yeah so that is the samurai 
I just imagine it being like you've been cut to shreds, you're about to die, you just stand there like bandaging your shit for like two seconds, like healing yourself, and you're like, fuck just, you. Bear with, bear with. Okay. Just no, no, no. Her arm. No, no. The guy standing there with like a great start going, come on, man. No, no, in true like samurai fashion, it would be like super slow. Oh yeah. Just like 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 eye contact the whole time, like mumbling something <laughs> in Japanese. Just <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. Full on monologue for the six seconds. And and, and then and or or you kill him and then the guy drops. And then you drop. And and, and then and then you drop. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's There's that so moment dramatic. where like you run through and you finish the the slash with the sword. He they dies and is chopped in half, half, and then you just, you just topple yeah. over. That, that's like, the way I envisioned you. You want that. anime and your D&D games, friends? Here it is. Here's your samurai. Happy birthday. Yeah. Like, this is great. It's my favorite. Yeah. Combine it with a monk. Oh, that would be amazing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like it. Interesting. So, Arcane Archer. Yeah. So, I got the Arcane Archer. <laughs> Megan, who has never played an archer? I've never played an archer before. Uh, good thing my last character wasn't an archer. I played a bard that like had a bow, but like that's not the same. No, thing. it's not. Um, this is the better ranger. Basically, combat wise. Oh, combat wise. Sorry, let me clarify. The better no, no archer no, than no, the ranger. No, well, in everything, a fighter can be a better ranger than than the stock ranger. The, the stock ranger is just garbage. Yeah. Okay. To be honest with you, I actually kind of like it, and it makes me want to play one. Not oh, gonna it's lie. A very cool it's class. pretty cool. Arcane archer, yes, yeah. or ranger. Arcane archer. Because if no. it, if you're if we're talking about rangers right now, you need the the psychiatric. No, no, no. I want to play an arcane archer. I think okay. it's pretty cool. Cool. They so, um, of course, the lore behind it is that these it's an elven magic. It's very specific to say that these are the warriors of the elves. They're the yeah. ones that kind of use their ranged magical attacks to keep people from getting into their settlements. That's the whole kind of magical concept behind them um and of course arcane archer is similar to the other ones we've talked about they're not new they're from other editions yeah. they've been adjusted over time etc um interestingly yeah. they're not tied to just elves though like no not at all not like blade singer or something like that right well blade singer's tied to elves and there's a barbarian subclass that's tied to dwarves, to dwarves yeah, yeah. Um, those are bullshit yeah, I'd wave them anyways. Yeah, yeah and that's I what I mean, it. is I like the idea of being able to take, yes, that's the lore behind it, but of course magic adjusts and changes mm-hmm. over time. People adapt, people absorb I'm it. I'm just glad they didn't tie it to only else. No, but like if you look at the lore, that's where it yeah. is developed yeah. from, right? Um, so first off, right away, at third level, you learn your magical theory. Oh, sorry, you're, you get your basic arcane shot, um, which is basically you get to choose two from the list um, to be able to use for your arrows to be magical. Um, I will go over the list, but I don't think I'm going to go into detail about all of them. So, um, due to, of course, being of elven tradition, uh, you do get to choose your proficiency, um, in either arcane or nature skill. <laughs> so are you a high elf tradition? Were you trained by high elf or, or were you trained elf? by... What elf were you trained by, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you get to choose to learn either prestidigitation or druidcraft, which... High which type elf are you? Or go wild and go, actually, it's I've got proficiency in nature, but prestidigitation. Which is unfortunate, because if you did want to tie it into a different backstory that is not elven... I uh, Yes. I mean, it does say that this was traditionally elven, but the other races over the centuries have come into it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm bothered with things like moon elves. Moon elves are, yes, technically high elves, but I would be more inclined to give them equivalents because, I mean, you got the spellcasting equivalents. Yeah. You get Arcana, so you're getting Prestidigitation. You get Nature, so you're getting Druidcraft. Don't have to. You could get Religion and get Thaumaturgy. Yeah. Sure. Right? 
you can get history and get um, a bard, a vicious mockery from a bard. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Like, I, it, depending on what the history is, I would, as an experienced DM, I would allow you to play allow with to it. play with it a little bit because you're not going to break a game with I, these. I feel like you have enough options here with the yeah. two. I, I would not do Vicious Mockery because neither of these no. are damaging abilities. So yes. it would be no. minor illusion. If, Illusionary if or charismatic yeah. or yeah. what have you. Like if you want yeah. to build a friends. courtier of some kind. You get friends. You get friends. Give me the friends. I have friends as a bard right now, and it's actually probably the best spell I've ever taken. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. love it. I especially like how <laughs> they know they're charmed as soon as you're done. As as so you're they're done. like, "Yeah, we're buddies." Wait a minute. We are not friends. We're not. And, and that's why you use friends as a changeling. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so right. I, I, I will get into it now. That at third level, <laughs> <laughs> you get your arcane shot. Which basically gets the ability to choose two of the um, magical shot like arrows that it gives you. Um, something to tell about the arrows is that there's basically one from every magic style, or sorry, magic school. school. Okay. I guess. Yep. Is the way to say it. Um, I won't go into a major detail on every single arrow because they're pretty self-explanatory. The whole concept is, of course, in the next levels after this, you get to choose more of these arrows, and the higher level you get, the better the arrows get. Shall now, yeah. fun little fact with this that I picked up when I was reading through it the first time is longbow or shortbow. So crossbows out of the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's but. like, I think it's the traditional yeah. archer, shall we say. I am in a forest. But yeah. Just, so just if you were thinking of building a crossbow archer with this, not an option. Yeah. yeah. Not an option yeah. at all. So um, I will list the arrows if you guys want me to go into detail, I will. But again, they're pretty self-explanatory. You get you bursting least, yeah. arrow. Uh, which basically makes an explosion when it hits, enfeebling arrow, uh, which is a constitution saving throw, all that kind of stuff. Grasping arrow, which I would hate, but it's a poison damage. Um, I like grasping arrow. (laughs) Especially if you took druidcraft and, uh, like, if you're looking at, like, a wood elf background. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not small added to damage. Like, like, once you get to 18th level, it's a 4d6, right? So it's pretty good. Um, piercing arrow, which is basically your one, like, I'm a, I'm a shoot you, shoot you arrow. Um, seeking arrow. This one's pretty cool. I kind of would want to choose this one, but, but there are other abilities later on that are very similar. So we'll get into that later. And then shadow arrow, which is different. I, I have never even heard of this one before. So, so, and then, so shadow arrow is, uh, you weave illusion magic into your arrow, causing it to, um, occlude your foe's vision and shadows. Uh, the creature hit by the arrow takes an extra 2d6 psychic damage and it must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or be unable to see anything further than five feet away. Yeah, so that's psychic awesome. damage fun cool. is fun and blinding outside five feet, also fun. There's not a lot that's resistant to psychic damage, no. friends. No. So, yeah. I'm on board with it. Yeah. You got a barbarian you need to take down? Yeah, right. This is what you use. Um, and then one that I do like, banishing arrow. Um, I like banishing magic. Just in the sense where, but like I've never worked and been in a campaign where a DM has allowed me to use it as per written rules. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, and it's not just Adam alone. I have played in other campaigns where they nixed banishing of any kind. Ah, that's, that's, I don't know. It's in the game. I like it. I can understand why as a DM you can have everything foiled by it, but it's in the game. It's true. Yeah, it's in the game. I understand why some DMs don't like it because it's very easy to get access to things like banishing magic yeah. like here at third level you could send things away to the feywild yeah like gone um i i especially like how this is a 
um, specific destination. It doesn't work like a It doesn't say just Mm -hmm. on a plane, like a different plane, or it goes back to its home plane or what have you, right? It's very specific to your magic. Now, let's be clear, though. Banishing it, it's one turn, right? It comes back at the end of the next turn. Yeah. Right? It's not like you're permanently banishing. No, but, I mean... You're basically taking out a combat for a round. Yeah, and who for, knows what's going to happen to it when it's in the for, for a charisma saving throw, like, there's not going to be a whole lot that's going to be able to save this. Yeah. This could affect a lot of things. And, um... But if you've got something big you need to focus on and you want to get rid of the small little minions for a minute while you deal with that threat, I, I don't know. I like it. I think... As a DM, I think I'd be okay with... It's one turn. You're well, not, yeah, for like in this... This isn't a permanent banishment, right? Yeah, so it's not a permanent one like your regular banishing spell. So I feel like as a DM, you would not really have a problem with this one. But like, just in general, banishing mm-hmm. has never worked out for me. So I am i don't like it. <laughs> but, um, and then the other one that I really like is the Beguiling Arrow. This one's hilarious. <laughs> the imagery is delightful. So I'm going to shoot you, and now you're my friend. Yeah, no, I'm gonna shoot you, but you're gonna attack somebody else. Yeah, yeah. very much. Yeah, like I just say, like I get it. You're the archer. You're not supposed to be the center of attention, so it makes sense that you're trying to throw the attention at someone else. But it just seems so weird that that's how that works. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, I also find that it's it's crazy that you could do this once per turn. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like there's there's no real limit how many arrows yeah. you could shoot with these things. Just what types. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, you get more... Uh, more Options. As you get more options as you level up. Um, ultimately... Uh, no, to... Sorry. No, you get two uses per long rest. Shorter oh, long yes, rest. Yes, but rest, then there's yeah. the, the similar ability later on that makes it... Makes it more. Basically so as more. you level up. But there is there is a limit on it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a limit on the magic use. And I remember in the old Arcane Archer, you would get the next ability right away, which is the Magic Arrow, which at 7th level in this campaign, well, in this 5th edition, you gain the ability to infuse your arrows with magic. Therefore, every arrow you use is a magical arrow. Which yeah. is really cool. Like at seventh level, your bow and arrow is a magic arrow bow, yeah. no matter what. So if you right? haven't managed to find magical arrows, you don't yeah. have to worry about it. But in older editions, you got it right away at third with the arcane shot. Mm-hmm. Now you don't get it till seventh level, which I think is a little bit more balanced. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this is still pretty. Seventh level is still level. yeah, it's still late in the game to get a magical weapon in my mind. Yeah, but if you're playing in those well, campaigns where you and don't if you're have an arcane archer, the first magical weapon you're getting is a bow. is a bow. Yeah, like if you're walking but, around with a great axe, a friend. But a magical I love bow does character. Does a magical bow create magical arrows? Does a magical bow create magical arrows? Yes. Does it? Yeah. Is that the rule as written? Well, it, if you're shooting an arrow with a magical bow, so with a magical it bow, it becomes you... magical when you hit things with it. Yes, hundred percent. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes, I'd want to check well, the rules. Well, because I feel on that. like the concept that you're saying right now is the only way a magical bow would work is if you hit someone physically with a bow. Well, no, you still you still get the because <laughs> usually a magical weapon is going to have a bonus to hit. Nope, or, not necessarily. Not necessarily, but it's going to have some sort of other function that. But the arrow itself. So I put, put it this way: if you have a Plus one uh, longbow. Yes. That is going to do plus one damage and... Oh, sorry. Plus, plus one, one to hit, hit and, and damage. One. Yes. Which means it's affecting the arrow. It 100% is. It 100 the strength is... No. No. So, there's no argument to it. So, so this is completely is. useless then at that point if you that's don't have... That's what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're saying. That's why this is weak. Because I would argue as... I this, would be, this is... This is... You're breaking out from jail, knock out a guard, take his bow and arrow, and now you're still able to do damage reduction. Yeah. Right. Now keep in mind in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, magic items are exceedingly rare and are supposed to be. God damn it. We're not we are not level 
we're not playing 3.5 where we're decked to the nines with magic items anymore. That's yeah. not the way the game is supposed to play. You have three slots for items, mm-hmm. right? And 99% of all weapons that are magical require attunement yes. anyways, Correct. right? So if this is also useful, if you have a magic bow but don't have the attunement slots for it, you could still make a function as a magic bow for overcoming damage reduction purposes. Sure. Yeah. Right? Just to have a different uh, attunement slot available. Now, they've opened up the, the the floodgates when it comes to things like attunement slots when they introduced the Artificer mm-hmm. and how many yeah. attunement well, slots the Artificer gets. Yeah. So this... Listen to the Artificer episode. <laughs> this feels... It feels weak for 7th level. Like, I mean, you, you look at what... Again, it's and very that's specific why... to the type of campaign you're playing where if magical items don't necessarily exist, it benefits you. If you're playing in a campaign where magical items exist and they're handed out like hotcakes, it is not useful to you. And it's counterintuitive because if you're playing an arcane archer, you're playing a magical archer. You should have a magical bow. You should bow. have a magical bow. Yeah. yeah. If Agreed. you're playing a low magic campaign and a arcane archer, friend, I love your character, but you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you get your shit together. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, also at 7th level though you do your get... Your DM's a dick actually if that's the case. <laughs> no, no, I, or I you, or you, unless it's predetermined that it's not going to be that you're just building the wrong character. Or, or you are the one, like you scrap the lore of it, you know, being trained, blah, 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 just making an innate magical ability and you are slowly getting better at it. Remember, this is a fighter subclass and you're not getting spell slots. So you're not really a spellcaster. That's what no, I mean, yeah. Not. It goes to get to my character build later, but yeah. Yeah. Um, alright, cool. So at 7th level as well, you get Curving Shot, which I think is actually really cool, which I think is better than having a magical bow. Um, uh, you learn to be able to redirect um, an arrow. So basically, if you um, miss a target, you can actually re-roll it to hit a different target. So Love that. You can curve your arrows, bitches. I like the flavor of that. <laughs> um, yeah, you're Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And yeah, you're a better archer than a ranger. Yes. Yeah. With that ability. that That's the one that does it. And there's no limit to it. No. It's just a, this is a thing that you can well, do. Well, you use your bonus action to yeah, do it. Yeah, but like, you regain bonus action. So I just yeah. like... My 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 favorite thing about this is you use your bonus action to re-roll the attack roll against a different target within 60 feet of the original target. That goes farther. Which means if that guy is 60 feet away and you got a short bow, you're extending the larger limits of your yeah. being able to roll without disadvantage. All right, well, now the guy 120 feet away, which you normally would have had to roll with disadvantage, you don't have you to You don't anymore. have to. You just roll normally. See, this is like, I would almost want to flavor that in the sense where you're just like, I'm going to direct it to this person's person so that it like bounces off their head and goes to the next Yeah, person. like yeah. It, it ricochets off their helmet choose, and hits a dude. You almost yeah. choose not to hit them. You're like, I want to hit that guy, so I'm going to hit this guy first. Like that just, the imagery is so cool to me. I yeah, love yeah. it. I also I like, like the fact that it doesn't say it has to be in the same direction. No. So it could just go whoop and come right back at you. Literally yeah. curve and your arrow. Fucking sweet. Um, all right. Uh, and then at 15th level, this is where you get your ever ready shot, which essentially your magical archery is available whenever battle starts. So if you roll initiative and have no uses, you get one use. So again, similar, similar to, to the, the samurai. samurai that you do no matter what, technically go into the start of a battle with one no matter what. Yeah. Which is really cool. Um, but then after that, there is nothing special for level 18. Basically what happens is, is whatever arrows you chose level up respectively mm-hmm. so each arrow has the benefit you, you get more you get powerful to 18, so whatever you chose gets more powerful yeah so i love i do love the idea of these because you do have to be careful with what spells you choose again this character can grow with your campaign mm-hmm. so should you choose one arrow you might choose another because of the direction the campaign is going like i just feel like it's so customizable 
that I I personally like it. Yeah, lot. it definitely is. Uh, you could play a bunch of arcane archers and never have them be exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. Right? Dan, you look like you're looking something up. Uh, yes, I was just looking up uh, a lot of these uh, subclasses. Um, the arcane archer and the samurai specifically have this at 15th level, if you hit initiative and you don't have any more uses, you get them back. Yeah. I was seeing if that tracked with Battlemaster as it? well, and it does. Mm. So same mm. thing, 15th level. If you run out of Battlemaster superiority die, you get another yeah. one. So, yeah. Checks out. Checks out. It just really, Perfect. really fits. Cool. All right. So before we wrap up, I just want to remind everyone that you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. You can always reach out to us through our email at info at itsamimic.com because we love hearing from you guys. And any questions that you send us will get added to the lists for upcoming mailbag episodes. All right, guys. Let's do some creative builds. Let's roll to see roll who goes first. I got a four. I got an 18. 14. I'll go last. Okay. I get to go first again. Yep. It's been a good day for my dice rolls. Um, all right. So with the Cavalier... Um, I actually found this build somewhere else a long time ago and co-opted it and tweaked it a little bit for my own liking. Um, I would give credit to whoever created it first, but I don't remember who it is. It's just sitting in my uh, character creation page. Yeah. But I talked about this earlier. It's a multi-class. Yeah. And it's the Oath of the Crown Paladin combined with the Cavalier. And basically, you're constantly defending... Uh, Going with an Asimar, so specifically the uh, Scourge Asimar, um, because they have that ability to basically radiate damage around them, yep, and then they can focus also on a single target. Um, it's, there's just that's a, a strong, there's a, a strong really build, good yeah. synergy there, and I think it'd be really flavorful as well, right? You're this beacon of light on the battlefield. You're you're basically drawing everything into you, both visually and then mechanically as well. Mm -hmm. um, I like the flavor as well of having this as fallen Asmar, well scourge Asmar, but this Asmar who's trying to redeem and then rally the troops around him for a righteous cause. Cool. I, I really like that. Um the for those who don't know Oath of the Crown, it's basically the stereotypical knight uh knight in shining knight armor. Knight yeah. shi yeah. shining armor. Um they get abilities that like literally our challenges like you are fighting me one-on-one -on -one right now. yes that's right, right. they can and make a wisdom save or or have disadvantage on attacking everybody else or whatever it is right it yeah. might be a charisma save there's a yeah but like there there's there's a lot of really interesting like yeah honor crowd control protection yeah, yeah. And all that kind of stuff like yeah. your goal is to be the center of attention to be drawing people in and making whether that's and it works great for role play or for combat yeah. Right. Either way, you're still the center of attention, and in combat, you're making sure that everybody's focused on you, and you're taking the hits. Yeah. Did you say that you would kind of cross class it too, or you'd with? Yeah, yeah, the two, yeah. right? So, so yeah, because that would help you build up the charisma side. Of yeah, things, exactly. Right? So yeah. you definitely want to put a lot of into charisma. You probably want to take the sentinel feat again. Yeah. But you're looking at again. You get fine steed and fine greater steed with paladin, right? Mm -hmm. Like it just the flavor is there. It's mixed together. Like you said, I'd love to see. Cavalier as more of a paladin subclass, mm -hmm. but because it's a fighter, yep. No, that, I think that, the the uh, multi class just works. Yep, that tracks. Yeah, I like it. Um, I kind of thought of a really cute idea, more backstory, less like technical side of what I would want to do with an arcane archer. 
But basically, I was thinking of years and years and years in the future, after, like, a big great war occurred on the land, some random fucking idiot came across a bow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was technically kind of imbued with magic, but not quite. It just has notches in it. They're not quite sure what the fuck they do. Um, So this is not an inherently magical character, obviously. It is the bow that is of the magic style. So oh, is this character's name Turnip? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Or Mushroom. I've done did find this here bow and they shoot things and they they stand there and they die. Yeah, it. it's great stuff, yeah. Uh, dang no, dang but like I feel like enough, all of a sudden they start hearing like magical voices in my mind. What <laughs> uh, the fuck is that? It's great. Um, Hello? Yeah. But I would also like to play on the side of the fact that each of the spells, like the bow spells that you can get are different magic styles. So it's almost like the only way they can learn those spells is to meet someone or know someone that knows that magic. Mm-hmm. So again, having a rhyme or reason as to why it occurs. So it would almost be like your goal now is to seek out different forms of magic to be able to utilize this bow to its fullest capabilities. Because obviously as a fighter, you're going to get your regular abilities right away. You're going to be able to use your bow, no problem, like a regular bow. Mm -hmm. But to use the magical side of it, it's almost like you are required to seek out how to use it. Because you were never taught the elven way. Yeah. Right? So That's going to require a deep discussion with your DM at that point. Because you lose that bow, you lose your character. Yeah. Exactly, right? But that's happened in any campaign I've played. If yes. I lose a weapon or something that I built my character around, you gotta figure your shit out. You're a fi- no. you're an arcane magic fighter. Fucking figure it out, right? Yeah, I mean, as a DM, I would definitely have... If I'm going to take that weapon away from you, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing so knowing it will neuter your character, so I, I will have had some idea of what we could do to not neuter yeah. your character, because... I mean, don't be a dick. Right? Yeah, of course. Or use it in a way to lure them to someone else who has magic, right? Like maybe you came across like a fairy in the woods that knows what bow that is. So it takes it from you. Yeah. And then the next like episode of the campaign is you finding this fairy to get the bow back. And then you learn another spell from that fairy, yeah. right? So it would be, I almost feel like it would work better as a one-on-one campaign because you would be very specific to your storyline. But I don't know. I just really like that. Oh, I like idea. the idea. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. do. Um, so for me, um, I am really embracing the feel of the samurai, um, with the race that D&D 5e has seemed to, uh, encourage players to play if they want to play in that Eastern feel, Mm -hmm. right? And that is funny enough, the hobgoblin. Hmm. Hobgoblins are very militaristic. They're very, um strict and straightforward and and um regimented and a lot of their character art they're wearing like traditional japanese armor hmm. right they yeah. just they have that they yeah. all have their top i didn't consider that, like, that but you're right good yeah. to go right so um the idea of a hobgoblin samurai really really uh tickles me i i really like the idea did you have to use that term yeah to yes yes i did <laughs> okay. um but add in a little bit of kensai monk just to mm. just to just to fully embrace the feeling of it, right? I thought you said Kenku for a second. Like you can't no. do that. <laughs> so so the Kensai monk is of course the monk that focuses on its weapons, mm-hmm. right? Um, you could instead of going Kensai monk, maybe go Hexblade Warlock, something else that's focused mm. on its weapon. 
Um, but the reason why I want to do this is your character is about his weapon. Like you said with your arcane archer thing, kind of the same, but like this is a uh, ancient, uh, in, in Pathfinder they call them dog slicers, or what goblinoids mm-hmm. call their blades. Nice. Right? Dog slicers, if it's two-handed one, it's a horse uh, horse cutter. I horse think. chopper. Or, horse chopper, right. So, um... <laughs> This is my head chopper offer. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, goblins and Pathfinder hate both uh, dogs and horses with a passion. Mm. Yeah, like, we'll hunt them down and murder them just because. Yeah. That's hilarious. Anyways, uh, so the the whole goal of this character um, is he's... I, I want to play him as a ronin. I'm, like, he's been banished from his uh, hobgoblin clan. Mm-hmm. And he is trying to work to regain that sense of honor. Because honor is incredibly important to hobgoblins. To rejoin his clan in some way, shape, or form. And I would have this be a bit of a redemption arc where this guy's like, wait a minute. I was the bad guys and now I'm out. And now I could be with the good guys. Mm. Right? And have this change of mind. And being able to play a goblinoid character has always been interesting I know you to love me. Right? Goblin lines. Uh, I, 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 love, I love the green skins. And even when as hobgoblins, they're red. So uh, it's... Yeah. Uh, like... You could have a very interesting, intriguing character arc for for this guy, and you all of these things kind of blend together to fit this flavor in this field that hmm. you could develop. So, uh, Kensai Monk, uh, five levels, and then probably fifteen uh, as a samurai, just just to get that that level fifteen ability to um, get get a charge no matter what. Isn't yeah, that that's yeah, yeah, yeah. To get the to get the to yeah. make it useful at a higher level, you would almost need to get to fifteen. Yeah. My mind just yeah. turned off. I'm sorry. Eight, I think 18 is the one where when they drop dead. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, that means you always have one of these things up. you got a couple key points to do what you need to do. You you have uh, Step of the Wind. That's true. Mm-hmm. As a fighter is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that opens up your bonus actions, which you're not really using a lot, right? Uh, if you are wielding a two-handed weapon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, yeah, that's that's what I would do. It's I like a Samurai way of the uh, Kensai Monk. I like it. Fits well together. Yeah. Very classic. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can head to www.itsamimic.com and hit our fancy donate button. Or tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. And don't forget to come back on to our next week's episode when we're covering Warlocks. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. All right, guys. So in talking about fighters, what kind of symbol do you think symbolizes yourself and or your family unit? Ooh, that's, Ooh, a, that's a very good question. Let's go for it. 19. I got, right. a, I got a treat. You got a nine. Um, I picture, are we talking more like a crest or just a symbol? Like a what? symbol, like a holistic symbol. A holistic symbol. Or a heraldic what? symbol. Yeah. Uh, what would I have on my heraldry? Yeah, right. And remember, they most heraldry has some sort of fantastical creature on it. Sometimes. For, for a Sometimes. reason. Yeah, I, I actually don't have one on mine. I like the idea of a tower. A strong, stable tower. A rook, yeah. Okay. A rook, effectively, yeah. yes. That's what I think would be on mine. Just a strong fortress of refuge. That's very cute. Yeah. I like it. Um, my family is a family of nerds, thanks to my dad. 
Um, and him and I actually designed a family crest like Love three that. years ago for him to carve for the family. Has nothing to do with our actual family history. Doesn't need to. Just as like, long as it's we, Yeah, we we fell in love with Game of Thrones and decided we'll make our house perfect. Uh, so it has a white fox and the mountains on it. Love that. Because we're foxy, dads. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was hoping for a deeper a deeper cut, but just because we're full of sass, so much yeah, sass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it tracks. It does. <laughs> it's it's true. Um. For this episode, I went into deep dive onto like heraldry and uh, like old English heritage sites. Fuck reading about fi- fighters. I'm just gonna read about people's history. Uh, yeah, and and all of the <laughs> little, and all the little things that went into heraldry, um, from whether you have a whether you have chevrons on it, whether you have, what colors are on it, what the different colors mean. I went I went into a deep dive. Of course Uh-oh. you did. Um, so I don't think I'm ready for this. Um, I now want to make one up, but it does say that, you know, uh, I, I went to one website here that's like often fabulous beasts were that never really existed, but people believed in were put in as symbols of power and whatnot. And honestly, the owl bear. If I could have an owl bear on a heraldry, I'm, I'm down. My favorite animal, natural animal, straight up, is a bear. Um, my favorite bird are owls. So personally, it fits. They are iconic D&D monsters, so it fits. My children love them. I have little baby owlbear models that are like little owlbear pups, little owlbear cubs. You have one for like each kid? I have three of them. So like... Perfect. Uh, so uh, an owlbear on a field of green with, uh, I don't know, some chevrons on it or something. Uh, maybe a border around it. Like it's... I went on a deep dive. So yes, I've got I've got ideas. <laughs> Wonderful. Just a few, I can tell. And hit our fancy donate button. Or tell your friends that the rest and leave that in. That's that's the estate. Yeah. It's better than Megan going, okay, bye. Okay, shut up. That's great. I love the okay bye. I love stabbing them in the back when they're not here. It's such a great time. Because those motherfuckers. Do it to me. It's Wait, true. why aren't we talking about pumpkin spice? Adam's not here. <laughs> this is an all pumpkin spice all the time episode. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs> <laughs>